Last week, if you were here, we were in Mark, I believe, 10. And this week, we've skipped forward a chapter in Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 12. I'm actually going to be trailing back to chapter 11 a little bit. But um, I was wondering if Gary could, if you could come up and read our passages. Mark He went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. 
When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard. Okay. What the heck? Right? <laughs> this, I, I, okay. What, I think it's John that says, he, Jesus did so many things that if you tried to fill all the books, like, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books of stuff that Jesus did. Okay, if that's true, then why did this story make it in the Bible? You know, it's like, why? I don't, I really don't know. And I'm not trying to be you know, edgy or whatever. I really, it's a genuine question. <laughs> and so I was reading it. Uh, I mean, just look at the story. Jesus sees a fig tree and leaf, and he's, and he's hungry, and he's hoping, well, maybe, you know, maybe the figs came early. And when he comes to it, he sees that there's no figs on it because it was not the season for figs, and then he curses it. And it, he, then he goes to the temple, like overturns the tables, right? Really famous. Jesus gets mad. And then he comes back and the tree is, it says, withered to its roots. Like totally dead. Why? Why? Why did you do that, Jesus? Why did you expect the fig tree not to, to be acting out of the ordinary? Why did you do that? I think, well, I actually, the, the episode that happens at the temple tells us you know, I know we're going far afield from our text, but the story at what happens in the temple is actually really important. So he curses the fig tree, he goes to the temple, and it says he overturned the tables. That word is important, overturned. Jesus is literally turning the tables. And the past, and it, but for any of you who have seen Jesus Christ Superstar, um, I, don't, I think that scene gets it a little bit wrong. It probably gets a lot of things wrong about the Jesus story. But um, I don't think that... Jesus going to the temple is like a rock ballad moment. And I don't think he's like sing, sing screaming the words that he says to the people. Okay? It's it, because, yeah, because what the Bible says is he was teaching them. He was teaching and instructing them. So he does turn the tables on them. And the passage that he teaches them comes from Isaiah 56. Let's see if I wrote it down. Yeah, I did. He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. That verse from Isaiah 56, um, the whole chapter of Isaiah 56, there's two parts. Part A is what he's quoting from, and that's where it says, my temple, you think that it might just be for you, Israel, but there's going to be a day, a glorious day, when everyone is invited to this temple, and then it will be, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then part B, we'll get to in a little bit, but he's basically condemning Israel's leaders for having really shallow imaginations. So, I think this actually does, you know, this actually does tell us something about the fig tree. The fig tree still gets cursed. I still feel bad for the fig tree, but I think the fig tree's crime and the crime of the people changing money outside the temple, it's not like they're extra bad people. It's not like the money lenders and the people selling doves. It's like, I don't think Jesus is saying, your occupation is terrible. You got the wrong line of work. I think what he's saying is, when, when the creator of the universe comes to your neighborhood, like, you better not act as if it's business as usual. <clears throat> like, when he sees the fig tree far off, like, he's just been welcomed into Jerusalem. People are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. 
like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're so excited. They, they proclaim that they're so excited. But if they actually knew that the creative universe had come to Jerusalem, to their, the heart of their nation, then even the fig trees would have known it. You know, like, it was such a big deal that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem that the fig trees, they shouldn't have been acting as a, they shouldn't have been acting in, according to their nature. They should have been, it should have been a time of like abundance, I think. And so, yes, so I think it's with this kind of backdrop in mind that we should look to our passage today. <coughs> Don't act as it's business as usual. Okay. So I'm just going to walk through verse by verse. You can follow along here in the Bible. Then they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. So Herodians, that just means, I think, supporters of Herod. And Herod was like the authority over Palestine, who was appointed by the emperor, or by Caesar, who we're going to talk about later. Um, so you've got the religious leaders, you've got the preachers here, and you've got the political pundits here, and they're coming together and in order to trap Jesus in what he said. Doesn't sound like, that just is not a recipe for success. They came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Basically, we know you won't be swayed by conflict of interest like we were one chapter ago when you asked us about John. We were too afraid to answer because we didn't want the people to hate us, but we didn't want to acknowledge you as maybe actually the Son of God or having any spiritual authority in our lives. So, they, so this question that they bring to Jesus, I think you can, you can interpret it either really cynically, which... I, that's always my first inclination. But I think we should also give uh, the Pharisees and Herodians a little credit here. They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So on the one hand, let's just, let's go there and get a little cynical of them for a second. And then we'll backtrack a little bit. So imagine the Pharisees' position here. They are being, they're kind of being called out by Jesus at every turn, and their authority is being questioned left and right. And so they're like, okay, Jesus, you, you don't acknowledge our authority. How about, how about Caesar's? How about the emperor's authority? Are you going to question that? And they bring along the Herodians with them so that, like, if Jesus actually goes there and actually incites some kind of revolution, the Herodians will be there to report back to Herod and like, hey, you got to kill him. Okay, so that's, I think that's the cynical version of interpreting their question. I think the, I think the more charitable way to read their question is that underneath that kind of cynicism or the sarcasm that are bringing this question to Jesus with, I think underneath that there is, there is a genuine question, right? Like, Jesus, if all authority lies with you, and if God will listen to us and give us all that we need, why, why should we have to obey the law of the land? Because we have been getting pushed around for a long time by Rome. So I think there is this earnestness in this question. Um, and we don't want to be too hard on the Pharisees, right? Because we all 
we're all there too. Okay. But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why are you putting me to the test? If you look in the Old Testament, um, you'll see that there is this recurring trope of God asking Israel, why are you testing me? And, uh, what is it? Yeah, in Psalm 95, uh, Psalm 95 really kind of bears this up. It says, 95 verse uh, 8 and 9 says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the wilderness, as you did in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. They saw what I did. I led them through, I delivered them from Egypt. I led them right through the Red Sea. I led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. I did all this, and they're still testing me. Jesus could say the same thing. I've been feeding them. I've been healing blind blind people on their side. I've been healing people who just happen to touch me in the crowd. They reach out and touch my cloak, and they're healed. All this is happening. You're still, you're still bringing these questions to me. You're still testing me. So there's frustration, I think, and I think we're right to read frustration in Jesus' question. And then he says, bring me a denarius and let me see it. And they brought one. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answered, the emperor's or Caesar's. So I think here the Pharisees and the Herodians have already fallen into their own trap. What if... What if Jesus tells them that Rome has no authority and they don't need to pay taxes anymore? What then? They get to keep the money for themselves, right? I mean, why do we hate paying taxes? Or maybe it's more accurate to say, why don't I like paying taxes? Well, because I think it's my money. <laughs> like, I don't want, you have, you get the money and then you have to like give it back. It's like, oh, that stinks. <laughs> I mean, being a student's okay. We don't really pay that many taxes. We use the But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, and Austin was reminding me that, well, some people don't pay taxes as a form of protest. Okay, that's true. But that's not what I think of when I'm paying taxes progressively, right? Um, they want to, and so I just assume that the Pharisees want to keep their taxes for themselves. They want to keep their own money, right? But, you know, ultimately, if Rome falls, you know, if Rome falls and that, and they're not like oppressing them anymore, then who's going to honor your money anyway? Right? Like, what happens then? Like, your, all your Roman money with the picture of Caesar on it, it's like, who's going to honor that if Rome was actually to blow away? Like, maybe you won in your political fa fantasy. It's like, well, no one's going to honor that money, so what's the good of keeping your money? Right? So I think that this question is not actually... It's not completely about money. Chris was right when he was talking about the rich young ruler that comes and Jesus says it's better if a, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. Um, so money's not it's not unimportant, but it's not the whole picture. Jesus really knew. Well, yeah. Jesus knows that if they were really asking a question about God's authority, uh, what am I saying? Yeah, I already said that. Never mind. Um, so I think, I think the way that the Pharisees and the Herodians have fallen into their own trap here is because they're not being imaginative enough. 
they ask a question about should we pay taxes or not, kind of getting at this, Rome has this authority, do you, do you acknowledge that or not? And that's not really the point. That's not the whole, that's not the whole story. I think that looking at Isaiah 56, the, the passage that Jesus quotes in the temple, the second half, is really helpful here. I'll read it. It's fairly short. So Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And then right after that in Isaiah 56, we don't know if Jesus taught this or not. It's a, the prophet says, Israel's sentinels are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs that can't bark. Dreaming and lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite, and they never have enough. The shepherds also have no understanding. They have all turned their own way to their own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let's fill ourselves with strong drink. Tomorrow will be like today. Great, beyond measure. Being answerable only to yourself is a dream. It's a dream, but we dream it all the time. The Pharisees and the Herodians were dreaming it too. They had, oh yeah, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to pay taxes? If we didn't have to pay taxes, we had this money to ourselves. If we got to rule ourselves, back, you know, back in the days of King David, we had, you know, we had political autonomy. That was awesome. Everything was great. But their, their imaginations are stunted, like the fig tree, unlike like the people in the temple, carrying on business as usual. They don't recognize that their maker is standing in front of them. Jesus sees not, through, not just through their hypocrisy, but he sees all the way back through Israel's history, I think, in this moment. I imagine he says with moist eyes and deep sadness, because this is the people he's been, this is the same people he's grown up with, eating and celebrating and worshiping and mourning with them. This is his family. These are his people, right? And they've been his people since since, well, since Eden. I think that when the Pharisees and Herodians are standing before him, bringing, bringing in this kind of sarcastic question, I think in that moment he remembers like the evening strolls in Eden with Adam and Eve, when humans were, where they had this communion where, where God's people knew that they were God's people. They knew that they were God's. And I think that makes this last part not snarky, not a snarky response by Jesus. That's how I kind of grew up reading this. I think it's actually filled with a lot of sadness. He says, give to, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. Can you hear the grief in his voice? I think it's there. Like I said, I used to think this was Jesus being snarky, but this confrontation lest we forget, happens on the road to the cross. We're reading it during Lent. He knows his time on earth is coming to a close. The picture we have of Jesus in much of the gospel accounts is a surprising and mischievous teacher and a good friend, but it's also a weary and heartbroken man whose last moments before his arrest are spent praying alone in Gethsemane while his closest friends are sleeping, taking a nap. I think he sees this ahead too. It's been a long loneliness. And these people standing in front of him asking, 
asking a trumped up question on taxes about taxes is the same people that he let out of Egypt. It's the people he promised to their grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, over dinner. Sarah's laughing. He remembers this time when he visited them. This is the people who's the people who are trying to catch Jesus on his tax returns have no idea that Jesus sees all the way back. Not just through their hypocrisy, but back through humanity all the way to the garden and that clump of dirt he picked up and breathed life into. But before, lest we be too hard on the Pharisees and the Herodians, um, I think they deserve our compassion. Um, because I, I think that the reason that they don't understand is because they just can't get past this pain. I think they have this pain from being pushed around by Rome, and also pain and embarrassment and embarrassment of having their dirty laundry hung out to dry by this people's preacher Jesus. They're hurting. It's so it's so obviously clear. And they haven't been able to pin this people's preacher down on anything yet. But they, unlike Jesus, can't see that in a week they'll have him pinned down to a cross already. Hands and feet on a Roman cross. Ironic he wouldn't badmouth the Romans while he had the chance before they executed him. And what these embarrassed and frustrated and hurt people don't realize is that when Jesus listens to their questions now, just as when he listened to their accusations a week, a week from now in, uh, in that kangaroo court uh, after they arrest him in Gethsemane, spends all this time listening. And they don't realize that soon he's going to be listening to their voices shouting crucify. But still, he is able to see past their pain. He's able to see past our pain, even when we can. Yeah. I think that we should not, um, we shouldn't gloss over this story without seeing, uh, without seeing uh, bitterness in and these Pharisees and Herodians question as our own bitterness too. Because um, we spend a lot of our time asking God the wrong questions, I think. You know? Um, and we ask questions that kind of, that are kind of, uh, I don't know, they're kind of sideshows to what's really going on and what really is going on. Uh, what's wrong with the fig tree, what's wrong with the people in the temple, what's wrong with the Herodians and the Pharisees here is that uh, we fail to recognize God who's speaking to us face to face, who's always been speaking to his people. Um, and we want to pretend that we don't have to answer to anyone. Um, yeah, and it takes, it takes a church like that cares and a church that where we can um, not only speak Jesus to each other but uh, embody what Jesus has done for us and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done and that we don't do this on our own and that not only are we answerable 
to each other in this church, but we're also answerable to the people who are hurting in our neighborhood, and ultimately, we're answerable to the God that has made us, and the God that spends so much time listening to us, listening to our sometimes silly questions, sometimes really honest and raw questions. And, um, yeah, and I, I also, yeah, so I guess parting words, I'm always, this is always my, the hardest part of writing a sermon for me is like getting to the ground, like applying it. I'm not very, I'm not very good at that. Uh, I kind of put that on you guys. <laughs> you have to apply it. Um, but I think that even just this week, uh, so many of you have shown me, have, yeah, a lot of you have shown me, like Camille, Gary, Eric, everyone at the Breakfast Club. I, we, <laughs> um, you're showing me and teaching me about reliance. And we're trying to hold on to each other as we're trying to hold on to the God that has never let us go. Um, so as we go forth from here and gather around this table, gather around tables in the casseroles downstairs, um, yeah, maybe continue to hold each other. And know that, uh, yeah, and maybe we remember that we are gods. Our nature, when you get down to it, when you go, when you look all the way back, maybe as Jesus was able to look all the way back and realize that you're really your God's dirt that He kissed, and don't don't focus too much on the fact that you're dirt, but that God picked you up and kissed you. Um, maybe do that, be able to do that together. You pray with me. God, you are. <coughs> You are near to us, and you never let us go, even when we stray, even when we ask you to let go of us, and we ask that for a chance to do this on our own. Um, and when we ask the wrong questions because we're hurting, God, thank you for seeing us for who we are, and that's yours. May we be able to go and do that this morning, and yeah, the time that we spend together today and throughout the week, maybe remember that we are yours, and because we're yours, we belong to each other too. Thank you for this neighborhood. Thank you for this church family. It's teaching me all this. In Jesus' name, amen.